Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast brought to you by Baldwin Research Institute and the Freedom Model. Addiction experts Mark Sheeran, Stephen Slate, and me, Michelle Dunbar, take on some of the most controversial topics surrounding substance use, addiction, and treatment. If there are topics you'd like to hear us discuss, books you'd like us to review, or specific questions you'd like answered, you can email us at podcast at thefreedommodel.org. That's podcast at thefreedommodel.org. Hi, everyone. Here we are again for our latest podcast. Mark, Michelle, and Steve, the authors of The Freedom Model. We did a Facebook Live not that long ago, and we didn't get to all the questions, and we wanted to answer a couple of them today. And we also have a wonderful board member, Dr. Peter Venerelli, who chimed in on our podcast, and we didn't get to answer his question either. So I'm going to start with his question because it it has already provoked some great discussion between us, um, and it's basically about you know what should we call addiction. Peter says, if we don't use the word addiction to drugs because it's erroneous and that it leads to excuses for using drugs, can we say drug dependence is going on? Even if it's self-selected dependence, is this a good way to describe the attraction to to drug use? And I know that each of us have had our opinions on this. And um, my my first thought when I read that is, thank you so much, Peter, for for tuning in and, and being such a great, avid supporter of us. Um, but I, I didn't think it was a good way to describe it simply because you can feel addicted and not be dependent, um, you know, physically dependent. Dependence is in the recovery world is, is really a medical condition. Um, but, but I know that Steve and Mark had some different ideas about this. So, well, one, one of the thoughts, can I point I, something out yep, quick? Go ahead. Yeah. I, you know, I wish we had Peter here to ask him what he meant because he's, an, uh, he's an author, pretty intelligent, and, and and if he said self-selected dependence, yes, I think he meant something very specific by that. I, yes, I don't know what he means exactly. Um, I have my thoughts. Uh, what do you guys think of that? I think that's a, that's a great idea. Maybe maybe what we do is we get Peter on to our next podcast and we have this discussion with him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh I, yeah. But what I mean is, what do you think? What do you think of self-selected? Dependence. I, I mean, to me, it sounds like, you know, maybe, well, this is the thing I'm going to rely on in my life. Well, you I, know? I, I, I think it's a good label, except for the fact that the word dependence when it comes to addiction has already been uh, sort of hijacked in this way that it, it means two things, mental dependence and uh, physical dependence. So when you conflate those two, it's really the same problem you experience with the word addiction and, you know, that sort of thing. So um, I don't think it clears the air as a definition of addiction because uh, addiction can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. If you're a heroin user who's doing, you know, bundles a day, being addicted can mean, you know, I'm avoiding withdrawal, which is a medical condition and it can mean also that they crave mentally and emotionally. So I don't think dependence clears that up because in our our culture that that word is conflated to mean both of those things. So it's just as confusing as the word addiction itself, 
you know, I think I think that I think that what yeah. we've I think that what we've done in the freedom model is we've we've really carefully pulled apart those two ideas of emotional dependence, right? This idea, this mental idea that I crave something because I want it mentally and emotionally, and then there's the other side. Well, I need it. Is really yeah. the thought, right? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And then there's the physical, and that is that I feel sick if I don't have alcohol, benzos, or heroin or opiates. Um, so, yeah, I, those are my thoughts. I, I wanted to go back to the self-selected. I think now that I've had some time to think about that specific, I, I think I brushed over that when I read the, and I kind of discounted it. And it, I, it is interesting that choice of words because there's this idea that you know addiction happens to you and you're not really selecting it yeah that you're susceptible to it that you're susceptible to it and really we all select our addictions if you want to use the word based on our preferences based on our belief systems surrounding that activity or substance or behavior um so i i i do think it warrants some more discussion with Peter as to as to where he was thinking of was going on that I I think it's a it's an interesting topic definitely yeah I agree should we go to the next question or do you have more Steve well yeah I think there's a lot more to delve into with this right because we've said you don't have an addiction you have a strong preference right and uh, that would be weird language to walk around and to say, right. you know, somebody says, um, you, you know, if somebody's asking you about your past or whatever, let's say you don't drink now, say, oh, well, I used to have a very strong preference for alcohol. <laughs> right, right. right. Um, for, you, for a lot of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not an answer that quickly settles um, settles what's being asked right you know and so um you know you might say well it's a lot easier to say well i'm an alcoholic or i used to be an alcoholic or i had an addiction to alcohol those sum up the thing really quickly for the person asking the question they get the picture okay you're not drinking you know (laughs) you put Mm -hmm. you don't do that now or whatever and um you know, in the writing, when we're trying to write about it and talk about it, um, there's so many shorthand words that are missing if you're trying to avoid all of, you know, the myths associated with the words addiction, relapse, addict, alcoholic, alcoholism. You know, it it makes writing and talking about all of this stuff pretty tough. I used to say things if people, if my past came up, well, I used to be a junkie or I used to be a heroin addict. Um, I was a heroin addict. I'd say things like that. And I still say them sometimes, but, um, a lot more often I say something like I used to have a heroin problem. Right. I used to have a drug problem. And, um, to me, that's more, more accurate Right. Um, But it still probably doesn't settle. That's for personal use, but it probably doesn't settle more where Peter's thinking of. It's like, well, how do we talk about this academically? You know, 
and and I don't you know I I guess say drug problems, substance use problems, alcohol oh. problems, uh, rather I, I, than addictions. Yeah, I I think that I think that we, you know, we're very careful and spent a lot of time on this in the book, and I think that the the reason it took a book to describe all of this is because the terms have become so horribly confused and and confusing. Um, And here's what's interesting. People can get over a drug problem and do get over a drug problem or drinking problem pretty easily. And we know that because over 90% of drinking and and drug users, drinking people with drinking problems, get over the problem when you when you factor in age. So obviously, people find a way to do that on their own a majority of the time. And what's interesting about that is, uh, at any point, if somebody said, "How do how do you get over addiction?" the answer is, really, the answer is you just stop, right? But but that sounds. And, and we've covered some of this in other podcasts, but that sounds so horribly dismissive and rude right. and unthinking and callous. But it only seems that way to people because they believe in all this stuff that isn't true, this powerlessness, loss of control narrative that has been playing in our country for so long. So here we are in this strange position where we have to define reality. Right, that yeah. the myths yeah. that the myths are so powerful, that the dogma is so powerful and repeated so often, that it's that it's become the way we actually think about the problem. Now, for us who have who have been researching this for you know twenty thirty years, um, this is old hat to us. We understand that, but for the public out there, th- these might be new ideas that we're throwing out there. So, so n- I think for the listener. I think it's important to understand that what you think about addiction, by and large, is flat out wrong. And you can, I just want to say to the audience, you can stop easily and if you have the truth. And the truth is, is that you're not broken, you're not diseased, you're not any of the things that, that the treatment industry is selling. So I just want to preface what we're talking about with that context because... When we talk about the words substance use in our book, we were very careful. I mean, we talked about that literally for years. How do we define this? Substance use as, as a category of behavior of something is very accurate. Yes. It's very accurate because it's chosen. It's freely chosen. You can have a preference for consistent, daily, heavy, problematic use and it's still covered by the term substance use because even those styles of drinking and drugging are chosen. And most people don't believe they're chosen, which is where the junkie title comes from or the addict or alcoholic condition comes from. So, so I think it's real important. I think this is such a huge topic because words matter because it frames how we think about something and how we conceptualize it, how we live by it, really. Um, so, so if you're listening to the podcast, re- this isn't semantics. Right. That's really important. It's the difference. No, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, we're trying to get rid of the belief that something is controlling you and forcing you into, to use drugs and taking away your free will because it's not true, right? And so we've decided, and I got into a debate with this about Zach uh, Rhodes, you know, he's trying to salvage the word addiction, you know, and say, well, we're going to define addiction this way. And I said, you know, the conclusion that, that we came to is that uh, the word has just too much baggage. It just, it, it, now if you go back, I found a paper recently, incidentally, that traced the word of, the, the root of the word addiction, its use across, you know, time. And at one point it did mean preference. Yes. But now it means you you are not in control of yourself. And um, I was, you know, I'm working on that opi on our freedom model for opioid addiction right now. And I went back into the introduction that I was writing yes, just yesterday. And I was sitting there trying to rewrite it again. And I said, you know, the first, the, 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 in the freedom model, uh, the first step to getting over an addiction is to realize that you're not addicted. And I just, I'm toying with new ways to present this, but then even in that statement, I'm saying that you've got an addiction to get over. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It ends up being a problem, but, but we really, there's, there's two parts to this, right? To, to what we call addiction, right? You have this, you build up this strong preference. You think you need your drug in every kind of situation or, or you know, however it's, it, it can come down any number of ways, but you really believe it's the best means to all of these ends for you. And um, then on the other hand, you start to believe that you are addicted and that takes it out of the realm of choice. So we, we have to return it to the realm of choice and then once mentally the, the individual is there and they fully understand at a gut level and, and an intellectual level that it is voluntary behavior and that it is a preference, um, until you understand that it's really a choice, you're, you're making into this, this uh, battle against the imagined disease of addiction or condition of addiction or whatever you want to call it, but about something that is controlling you and something which you need strength to fight against, right? So you're looking for support, you're looking for a medication that will give you the strength you lack. Um, you're doing the AA higher power thing to look for the strength. Uh, you're trying to rely on a therapist, whatever it might be, and you're completely missing the point. What I was thinking when you were talking was the the word dependence, um, and I, I it bothers me, and I think it does bother me because there's so much baggage attached to it in in the mythology. Um, and what I want to explain, which may be getting too far in the weeds, is you know when you have a paradigm in any science, but specifically behavioral science. Um, I mean, this is a this is a pretty strong paradigm now, um, and you know, so that all the all the mythology and the verbiage is tied up in in the mythology itself. Um, so so a lot of the things that we discuss 
you know, are almost are like a different language to people. What we're trying to do is literally change the language because because the belief system is so strong that it it paints images in people's minds. When you say addiction or when you call somebody an addict or when you say drug dependence, even if you put the word self-selected in front of it, you, you're painting a picture that I think everybody has their own image of what an addict look like, looks like. But there are, the word substance use is so great because there are varying degrees. Whether or not somebody is feels dependent or addicted is completely subjective. Um, and so you can't, there's not one word other than substance use that can describe it truthfully and with, and without, and taking away all the images and all the preconceived notions and beliefs that go with the paradigm. So, so Peter has a, has an, as an academician, as somebody who teaches, you know, young minds, um, you know, what do you do when you're, when you're a, a teacher of behavioral science and you're trying to change an entire belief system, which truly is rooted in religion and, and make it something that is truthful and helpful. Um, and that's, he's, he's really got a daunting task as do we do as well of trying to actually educate people to the extent that it, it literally goes into their deepest belief systems and, and shatters them. Yeah. 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 You know what I was thinking of as well yesterday? Um, it's like terrorist versus freedom fighter, right? Yeah. Well, that's great analogy. You know, I have some foreign country that labels that is oppressive and um, is a dictatorship and they label their rebels terrorists. Uh, when in fact they might not even be carrying out any terroristic acts, they might just be fighting the government. And, and you know, and and but as long as everybody thinks they're terrorists, that's what they are. Right. right? It's a strange way. That's what they become. And and uh, and, and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you you have terrorists who commit horrendous acts, and you know, and think the, of themselves as freedom fighters. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. Interesting. All right. Let's let's move on to the next to the next question. We promised we'd answer these these questions and they're great questions and I want to answer them. Um and this one is about uh support groups and support group meetings which I think ties into the whole paradigm shift yeah. really really well. Although to Although the decision to abstain or moderate is an individual one, do you consider the non-12-step group therapy style meetings to be helpful, such as smart recovery? Or do you believe this still chains people to their past substance use? Now, before we answer this, I want to say we do have a lot of friends in the non-12-step movement who really do find value in these kinds of meetings, and they are facilitators for them. Um, and, and we think that's great. We think that's a step in the right direction. However, comma, then I, go ahead, Mark. He's <laughs> going to say what I was going to say, but go ahead. Well, I, I, um, I ran meetings. Well, I went to about 3,000 AA meetings in my lifetime. So I know what it means to feel like you need support. And a lot of those meetings I went to as a researcher, a skeptic, and then finally, I extricated myself from that model, obviously, as we developed 
you know, and furthered the research. And truthfully, we went to those meetings to help people. Yeah. We weren't there to get support. We were there to give it. Yeah. And, uh, and I never believed in the powerlessness ideal, but, but it's, but, but that's regardless. So, um, the whole idea of support is problematic on its face because it, it, it's exactly what Steve was just talking about. It supports the idea that there's a need for support. Now, what, what's behind that is the idea of weakness. That there's, that you are, and I've used this analogy a lot of times, that you are a vessel that's only half full of willpower while the guy who doesn't drink or moderates is completely full of willpower. And somehow by getting to a meeting, you're, you're getting that extra half filled up. Right? So, so when we talk about it in those kinds of terms, um, really, is that, is that what's necessary? You know, or, or is it possible for a person to, to move past that? Now, I, here's what I think. I think that the majority of people that end up going to meetings long term do it for a distraction and or um, a social club. Yes. They're lonely, and that becomes their uh, their place where they find friends and have something in common. It's positive. Yeah, which is fine, which is fine. But, but know that that's why you're going, and know that the, the substance use issue was taken care of by you. A meeting doesn't magically change anybody because you're not lacking willpower. There's no such thing as willpower. That's, that's a, a made-up idea. What people have is infinite free will. You have a will. The question is, what would make you happiest at any given moment? And then your will is directed to that happiest option. So if you believe that meetings are your happiest option, you'll go to a meeting. If you believe that or not, you won't. If you believe getting high again is your happiest option, you'll go in that direction. If you believe that moderation is your happiest option, you will successfully moderate. You will go in the direction of what is your happiest option all the time. And that's a concrete uh, idea. So and motivation. So and, there's And can I jump in there? Yeah. I just want to jump in and know in whichever way you go is your will. Right. It's not it it's not a failure of willpower if you make one choice and a tr- triumph of willpower if you make the other choice. Literally because, whatever you end up choosing is your will. I want to tie this to Dr. Sarno's book. Um, that we talked about the Facebook Live, which is the, the, I can never remember the name of it, but it's healing back pain. Yeah. And that's the beginning of it. And what he does, which I think is really interesting, is the belief system is so important in, in helping you to overcome this pain that he'll literally tell his patients, stop going to physical therapy, stop listening to your doctor, do what I'm having you do because the... You need to know that there is nothing structurally wrong with you. And I think that that is really, really an important concept here. If you, if you're going to meetings and you genuinely believe that the meeting is going to, that there's something wrong in your brain and the meeting is going to somehow fix that, 
or give you the willpower, if, you ha- if you're going to a meeting because you have that belief system, then I think it is a negative thing. I think it can work against you because you're looking for something you can't get there. Much like when you're using substances, you're looking for them to do something for you that they can't. And, and there's, there's another side to this. It's not just the social aspect. It's the aspect, and I see this with smokers in a big way, because I was a smoker. I used to smoke two, three packs a day when I was partying. Yep. And smoking becomes this little circular withdrawal sort of cycle, right? It's really quick. You get withdrawal, then you smoke, then you then you get another cigarette and you stave off the withdrawal. And, and, that, and you do that every 10 to hour, you know, 10 minutes to an hour. And, and it becomes a, such a part of your life and it becomes a huge distraction in your life. And, and then, it, then it becomes an activity of itself. So when people quit smoking, it's interesting, they get frightened of the absence of the activity mm. because all of a sudden they have all this mental energy that's not distracted. Every like hour, they have this little moment of a couple of minutes where normally they'd be smoking and suddenly they're like, oh my God, I have, what do I do with this time? What, what do I do? Now, now let's look at something, a deeper habit like drinking that takes more time and resources than smoking. Smoking is sort of these little, little, little breaks throughout your day. But let's say you're drinking a 12 pack or, or a, a full handle of vodka a day. It becomes your entire life and suddenly that's you make the choice to change that and you have a free day. And people, they don't know what to do with themselves. So they, they, they seek out a meeting. They seek out support. And really, a replacement activity. Right. They're, they're really just wondering, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. If you truly let go of a quote-unquote addiction, what happens is you just have a lot of time on your hands that you can be incredibly productive. And, uh, and I've seen that, you know, helping people for 30 years, a lot of times I'll have to show them or provide options or ideas for options for a whole different lifestyle. And that scares people. It literally scares them. So, um, and it takes a little time to adjust to that. And so I always tell people don't, don't go to a meeting because it'll force you to try to find other things that would be a lot more productive with your time. Yeah, that's a good point. This is a great segue for the next question. Well, Um, let's go to it. All right. It is, through the though the discovery of autonomy and power in the freedom model is incredibly liberating, there's a weird feeling of loss that accompanies it when you realize that a huge part of your life is bogus and gone. You spent so much time identifying as an addict and telling yourself and others all these stories and using the lingo. Now, suddenly you're a normal person. Did any of you experience a bizarre feeling of who am I now and what do I do now after you were totally severed from all of the recovery mythology? I, I, I think we have an, a unique experience because we're not totally severed from it, truthfully. I mean, we, we work in it, we research it. Um, but, I can, but I can say when, I, when we first were breaking away from you know, these, this idea that we had to go to meetings every day, um, that it was a strange, there was this, uh, like, a, there is a strange idea of what do I do now, you know, now that I'm not, you know. Defined by this thing. By recovery. Yeah. You know, even though I never thought of myself as an addict, 
Um, I guess there was a part of me that was invested in being somewhat in recovery, which yeah. is really a strange concept it, to me now. It is. It is. Steve, what are your ideas on this? So I didn't feel um, a loss at all when I left the recovery world. Um, I, even though I was doing some 12 step stuff, I wasn't totally entrenched in it, you know? And I, I was just happy to move on when I moved to New York City. I went and started going back to college. I started doing theater and I was just excited to be free of that burden, I guess, of, of having to think about, you know, not using drugs. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so Steve, I can, I can, I remember when you, when you left and went down to New York. And as a matter of fact, I remember we went snowmobiling two days before, two nights before you left and we hung out at my house and, and you had all these exciting things that were going to be happening down in the city and, and they happened, you know, you went and, and lived your dream. I yeah. think, I think that a lot of people do that. I think what gets lost in the recovery community, the idea of recovery, first of all, the idea of recovery on its face is very weird because you're not recovering from yourself. Okay. Because yeah. you, you know, you're making the choice to drink and drug, then you're making the choice not to that's, there's nothing to recover from. That's a weird concept. Um, but, but what gets lost in that is, uh, the idea that you can just go out and live your life and, and enjoy it, you know, and also that change the process of making the decision to change your life in some way is unknown in the recovery community. It's almost like it's this horrific challenge when the reality is that human change is normal. And to go from liking drugs to maybe liking them less or abstaining is a very normal process that gets really lost with the word recovery. So if we were to have a theme for this, for this broadcast we're having today, it really is that words matter. Once again, we find that recovery is defining the, the process of changing, which is very natural, um, and, and it changes it into some sort of difficulty, that there's something, once again, to overcome. And changing isn't a matter of overcoming. It's a matter of changing a direction, changing the, the trajectory of your life. Um, and, and most change happens without us even thinking about it. You know, no, no child says, I'm going to learn to ride a bike because I don't want to run around the yard anymore. They just, they just think about the bike and riding, you know, they're thinking forward, right? And it's, and it seems like in this addiction recovery thing, we're always trying to define our next move by escaping the previous one, which is odd. It's just not natural. Um, and, and the only reason that exists, that phenomenon exists is because the, the, the mythology of addiction is so big and so all encompassing and so fear ridden that you really do have to escape it. You know, I mean, just the idea of what AA, what Bill Wilson wrote about that, 
you're destined for jails, institutions, or death if you don't move in the direction of AA, the cult of AA. That's really where this whole recovery idea came from. And so if you build the, the disease of addiction, the mythology around this fearful monster that was going to imprison you or kill you, well then, then of course recovery becomes something you have to you have to do to escape the previous condition, and most human change doesn't work that way. It works. You go from one happy thing to the next happier thing to the next happier thing. Now sometimes it doesn't work out happy. Sometimes it turns out bad. Whatever. Then you change in the next happier direction, but. Most of the time, you're not trying to escape something to move forward. And you don't define the next move by escaping the terror of the previous, you know, uh, pattern of your life. So um, uh, I think we can end the podcast here because we've covered the topics uh, pretty well. And uh, do you have anything to add, Michelle, about recovery? No. (laughs) Just to avoid it. Just to, I don't feel as if I'm in recovery from anything anymore. Uh, thank goodness for that. Um, I haven't in a long time. And um, it's really, truly wonderful to be free of all of that. Um, but I do know that we have an uphill battle to, to change the way people think about addiction and the way people think about substance use and behaviors in general. And, um, but it'll, it'll be worth, the fight is worth it. I, I, I want to say one last thing that, that helps to define what we're talking about here and seems to resonate with people. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, the, Steve's first version of the Freedom Model had this in the title, and that is moving on. If you really want to change your pattern of substance use, uh, instead of using the term recovery, that I'm recovering from something and you're constantly looking back and I need to go to meetings and I need support. Why don't you just move on? Just move on to what your dreams are. You don't need support. What you need is to move on, be free. And uh, in a way, we're giving you permission to finally do that. Get away from the recovery movement. You don't need it. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I'm going to add something else. I've known some people from religions that are some religious sects that are that are cult like you know yeah and who have who have left and their whole family is still involved yeah and it's very similar what the way that they talk about it and the trouble that they have letting go and how it haunts them is very similar to letting go of this idea that you're an addict um, it's become very real for you. So it's, yeah. Yeah. So we cover all of this in the Freedom Model for Addictions book. Um, so if you want to get rid of the mythology and you want to have a clear head moving forward and you don't want to be in any recovery traps and you don't want to be beholden to meetings, you don't want to be beholden to a therapist forever, um, and you really desire the freedom of knowing that you're okay and you can move on and choose anything for your life. If that's what you want, then we have the book that clears the air on that. It's the Freedom Model for Addictions. That can be found on Amazon.com, of course, uh, any bookstores, and also um, at thefreedommodel.org. 
And uh, we also have options for private instruction where you can be taught the Freedom Model uh, with one of us privately, one-on-one -on -one, over Skype or FaceTime. Um, and we also, of course, have our Freedom Model Retreat, which we've been helping people for the last 30 years. We've helped thousands move on from addiction and recovery and learn how to be free. And you can call us at 888-424-2626, and you can actually talk with myself, Michelle, and or Steve. So we look forward to hearing from you and helping you. Yes, thanks everyone. Remember, we're going to be uh, traveling around, going to different conferences. Um, you can check us out at thefreedommodel.org or check out our Facebook page or all over social media. We'll have announcements as to where we're going to be over the next several months. And, um, and also check out our YouTube channel. That yes, has, new videos being posted all the time. Yeah, we have some lessons on there for people. There's, uh, there's little tidbits of information about all the different aspects of what we're talking about. We're adding stuff daily. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Addiction Solution Podcast brought to you by the Freedom Model. You can send your questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to talk about to podcast at thefreedommodel.org. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with your friends. If you are struggling or you know someone who is, the Freedom Model can help. Call 888-424-2626 or go to thefreedommodel.org to see which option may be right for you. If you're specifically seeking a residential retreat, you can check out soberforever.net. Once again, that's soberforever.net.